Hello again and welcome to episode number 36 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. This is part two of our season finale episode and in this chat we talk with Australian swimming superstar, Olympian, world champion and Com Games gold medalist and genuinely one of Australia's favourite athletes, Miss Bronte Campbell. I spoke with Bronte just last week over Zoom and we discussed her amazing career so far with all the highlights, including the 2015 World Champs in Kazan. We discussed her early days in the pool and growing up over in Malawi, her passions outside of swimming as well. We preview 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Also, make sure you stick around at the end of this podcast. We have some massive news surrounding season three on the podcast and what is coming your way this August on the show. So grab a hot chocolate, throw a blanket over and relax because the final episode of the season, our 50th episode of all time and with the one and only Miss Bronte Campbell starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Nuggen's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the right hats. Phelps in the black hats. And Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe's in front. Thorpe on the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is a superstar of Australian swimming. She is a two-time Olympian, multiple-time world champion, along with a swag of other medals and accolades from major meets around the world. She is one half of swimming's answer to the Williams sisters in tennis and has been one of the most requested athletes to interview on the podcast since I started back in 2018. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Bronte Campbell. Bronte, how you going, mate? Hey, Robbie, how you doing? I'm doing, doing pretty well. I'm very good. I'm very good. It's a Friday afternoon and it's, it's very relaxed around here. My daughter goes to daycare on a Friday, so the, the house is a little bit more quiet on a Friday. What about yourself? What have you been up to today? Just training this morning, but it's, um, it's turned out to be a lovely day in um, Sydney today. I think it's um, like a top of 20 degrees, which is quite nice for us here in winter. So um, I'm staring out at the sun outside and wishing we were training in an outdoor pool right now. <laughs> very nice. So whereabouts do you live anyway? What area? Um, I, I live in North Bondi at the moment. Very nice spot to live. So um, even on a bad day, it's still good views around there? Yeah, it's lovely. I love where I live. It's, um, it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, Bondi cops a lot of flack sometimes because people think it's really pretentious, but yeah. there's a nice, like, dirty, seedy underside, which I really <laughs> like, where you've got, like, people who are just, like, surfing and um, being in and around the water and um, every single day there's people down the beach jumping in the water doesn't matter if it's um, 30 degrees or 13 degrees there's yeah. always some action going on down there and I love it it's just um it's a place where people who love love the ocean and love the water hang out so um, there's a beautiful little community here as well yeah those people are crazy as soon as it's like less than 22 degrees my toes don't even go in the water so I don't know how they do it what about yourself do you get in if it's if it's a little bit too cold yeah, I got in earlier this week. Um, it was pretty cold. It was probably <laughs> like 14 degrees outside the water and wow. who knows what it was inside the water. But yeah. um, I do I do have a wetsuit, but it, I don't often put it on because I don't 
I don't love it because I like diving down to the bottom and holding breath and stuff like that. So when you've got a wetsuit on, you then have to have either fins on or um, some sort of weight to help you get down. Um, yeah. It's not as easy because your wetsuit's so um, floaty. So I don't tend <laughs> to put it on too much, but now that we're heading right into the back end of winter, it's probably going to start to be necessary. <laughs> Very necessary. Uh, mate, I firstly want to thank you for coming on for a chat. I know how busy you are at the moment and everything's starting to get back rolling again with getting back in the pool how has it been for you getting back to training is it easier or tougher than you thought it was going to be it's interesting going back to training um it's a it's a weird thing we've never sort of had this i don't think um many people have had this where it's um this slow transition back into training which is Mm. also really really regulated around um when we can have access to the pool whether we're even allowed to have access to the gym and training times around um capacities of people in the pool so it's it's really weird and different but it's nice to be back in the water nice to be training with the squad again nice to have that that structure back which i think lots of people missed in um Mm. in covid i personally uh loved it for a while um the lack of lack of having anywhere to be and anything to do but um now the olympics starting to be a year away now it's um it's good that we can start doing something about it and start training again Absolutely. Mate, I did my research on you and, and a part of that, obviously, you know, being a, a swimming superstar was that, you know, you're also into poetry and I saw you doing some pottery and arts. Is that what kept you sort of sane over this COVID-19 period or did you delve into any, any new projects and get amongst something else? Um, yeah, it's, I think it was a good opportunity for me just to try other things. I mean, swimming takes up so much of my time, but then also not when I'm at the pool, it's, it's a lot of mental time as well. So I sort of, um, I was scared that when I stopped swimming, then I would suddenly realize that, oh, I don't actually have anything to do, but <laughs> yeah. sort of the opposite happened. And I realized I had so many options of things to do. So um, I got some clay and started doing some clay stuff at home, which has been like a nice little creative outlet for me. And I think I'll keep doing that now, now that I've, um, now that I've dived into that hobby. And I mean, the great thing is, is that you get like, a million different little bits of clay pieces that you can keep. So <laughs> I was going to ask um, you, how many of those did you keep? How many of those are, are still around the house or did you turf a few of them? No, 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 no. Nothing gets thrown away. They're um, even if they're like rubbish, like this is hilarious. There's something on my desk. Um, my boyfriend made this, which was like, it's just like, it was a bit of leftover clay and he rolled yeah. it into things, but um, it's ridiculous looking, but then it's actually like my pen holder. So it just sits like that on my desk yeah. and it's like absolutely perfect. So there's no use for pretty much anything. And I'm really into making super weird niche clay things like yeah. a spoon holder or a sponge holder or like this weird little pen holder. Um, it doesn't have to have a use. It's just, it's just nice to have a weird little <laughs> lump of melted glass on top of a bit of um, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> very very useful now I, mean, I feel like a lot of people do know this about you and your family but for anyone who, who doesn't um know that you know kate and yourself were born over in malawi and, and moved i think you moved over here when you were like six or seven in, in 2001 what was it like growing up over there and, and do you remember much about it it's surprisingly i remember quite a lot about it i think I moved, I moved when I was seven and I think, oh, how could I even remember that? But yeah, um, you do have, I do have quite a few memories of Malawi. It's, um, it's a completely different world to what Australia is like. Um, our town, Blantyre, had like maybe one traffic light in it. It didn't really work all the time because it was like rolling power outages. So we always had a generator for our power. Um, like everything's gated off because it needs um, pretty good security 
Um, it's just a completely, I mean, this probably give you a good idea. Like there's no cornflakes, like Kellogg's oh. doesn't exist there. Hasn't reached there. That's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just, yeah. <laughs> um, that's how remote and, um, developing it is. So it's, um, in many ways, probably, sometimes that's probably a good thing if there's no cocoa pops and rice bubbles yeah. and things like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a completely different world to when we stepped into Australia when I was seven. Um, yeah, just a whole whole other experience did you do much swimming over there obviously you know we know you got stuck into it when you came over here but were you doing much over there yeah so we had a backyard pool um we used to swim in a lot i mean it's a hot country and there's no real air conditioning so we're in and out of the water a lot um it also has a huge lake so we used to go up to the lake and spend a lot of time on and around the water but um my mum was also a synchronized swimmer um we call it artistic swimming now and she I used to teach the local high school um, kids down the road. So Mm. we would go join in. I mean, I was only six, but um, I pretty much had the option of keeping up with the high school kids or not being allowed in the pool because I wasn't allowed in just to play. So we used to jump in and and try to keep up with them as much as possible as well. You you know, when you guys moved here, you moved um, to Brisbane, which is a great part of the country. I loved uh, my time up in Brisbane when I lived there and you went to uh, Indrapilly. What was swimming like for you at that stage when you, you know, first got stuck into it up there? And, and what did you enjoy so much about the sport? Obviously, you know, going through my research, I know how competitive you are. So it's clearly that was a driving motivation. And you just mentioned it even just then, you know, stay, keep up with the older kids or, or you can't be involved. But what else did you enjoy about swimming at that sort of younger age? I think I loved everything about swimming. I was completely obsessed with it. So when I came to Australia, um, we'd just seen the 2000 Olympics. There'd been all the great Australian swimmers. I was like, great. Okay, cool. I'll just, when will I be old enough to go to the Olympics? Probably like 2012. Okay, great. I better start like training for the 2012 Olympics, mm. um, which is ridiculous when you're <laughs> seven. But um, yeah. I used to yeah, walk. We, li- we lived within walking distance of the pool, the first house that we rented in Brisbane. So I used to walk myself down to the pool every morning and sit on the side and watch everyone and then get in and train. And I've always, I've always loved being in water. It's such a great feeling. So I definitely played part of it, but in my mind, from when I was seven, I was training to go to the Olympics, even though um, I was not, <laughs> especially <laughs> not when you're seven, you're not, yeah. you're not training. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, like I was like ready to go at yeah. that point. <laughs> How good. Now coming through the age group systems, there's, there's no doubt you and your sister featured prominently on the podiums, but clearly, you know, with Kate being older, she was up there first at, at nationals. How much of a driver was that for you at a young age to see your sister, you know, being successful? And, and, you know, how much did that drive you to, to want to try and achieve that sort of things yourself? Um, watching Kate to achieve things was amazing. And it was always um, very inspiring to see that her doing that. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a driver for me at all, because I always had my own things that yeah. I wanted to achieve. And they were um, often quite different, especially because as you're coming up through age group, a two-year age difference ends up being quite a big difference like when you're 13 to 15 that that ends up being a a really critical time where you can have huge improvements or you can plateau out and things can change really really quickly through those teenage years or really slowly so it's a it's a bit of a weird time um to sit around and compare yourself so i definitely learned then um not to do that Mm. uh but i did i always just loved competing and i was in as an amazingly competitive age group, I mean, I didn't win um, a gold 
gold at a at, um, national age until I was 16. And then the next year was the year I made the Olympic team. So um, I was with Emma McKeon and Brittany Elmsley and Maddie Wilson and Kodaku Nawazi. And um, and then in, in the boys, there's, there's Cam, who's also part of our, our age group and David Morgan. So an incredibly like competitive and successful mm. year, which was great for me because I always had so much competition. Um, it didn't matter if I swam really, really fast. Um, there was often someone swimming faster than me. I think that's that's always been a, a nice driver for me. I, I'm really lucky that I've got really good domestic competition. Well, you mentioned there, you know, through that 16 and 17 year age and, and 2011, you, you won gold at the World um, Junior Champs in, in Peru. How much did that success, um, you know, give you a bit of confidence moving forward? Obviously, we know the next year you go to the Olympics, but was that a confidence booster for you that meet? Um, that's an interesting question. Honestly, not really. Um, in 2010, I got glandular fever and post viral fatigue. So um, training was really hard. Competing was impossible. Um, I ended up having to take some time off and try and get over it. So it took probably a year to get over it. And so in 2011, um, when I managed to go to Peru and I won the 50 freestyle, the time I went wasn't even, it was like 0.2 off my best which was like nice to be getting close to that but for yeah. me it wasn't the goal um it was still i'm uh, not quite back to my to my best yet so it's nice to look at the gold medal and mm. um at a junior worlds and be like oh great like at a junior worlds i was i was the best there but um for me it was like oh it's just trying to get myself back to my best after um having so much uh sickness and trying to get over that mm. so that was that was more the goal for me and, and uh, junior world's the sign that I was on the way up. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, 2012 to say 2014, you make the Australian team for, you know, world champs, the Olympics, obviously we know and, and Commonwealth games. And it will lead me in a minute to, you know, your brilliant 2015 world champs. Um, and I'll get to that in a moment. How did those two to three years help prepare you for that massive year that was to come? I mean, were there any lessons that you learned through those meets that, that prepared you to, you know, obviously be at your peak in 2015? Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting to try and pick apart all the different, all the different parts of success. But I do think that exposure to high level competition is, is really, really important. And um, I'm really lucky that I've had that over very many years now. It's been like eight years um, internationally and you just, you can't, um, you can't teach that to someone. The only thing is to go, is to go through it and just how, um, how cutthroat and tight it can be at those competitions. And there's absolutely no room for error. And probably the biggest lesson I learned early on was just to do your own thing, which sounds really, really, um, I don't know, basic and mm. like you should know that, but um, it's very easy to get distracted by people, especially when they're sort of, you haven't really ever met them before. And suddenly you see Renomi walking around and you're like, Oh my goodness, like she does this. Maybe I should be doing that. It's yeah. very, very easy. Even within a race to be like, uh, I do remember going out in a hundred freestyle and being like, I'm beating like these people next to me. And like they're swimming idols of mine. Mm. Um, surely I shouldn't be going out this fast <laughs> and maybe I'm doing something wrong yeah. and wanting to slow down. And so it's, um, it's, yeah, it can be a little bit tricky trying to find your own space within that. And just remembering that everyone else is a human being as well. Like they're none of the other ones are robots either. <laughs> <laughs> so 
but humanizing everyone is probably the the best way I sort of got over that and then just realizing that you can just do your own thing and trust in that process and not really pay attention to anyone else. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's, it's very similar with coaching. Um, a, a lot of coaches are always told, you know, come up with your own, um, theories and your own programs. And, but, you know, once you sort of get to a top level, you start looking at the top coaches and going, okay, well, what are they doing? And you start, you know, sort of double checking yourself and going, okay, well, they're doing that. So maybe I should be doing that as well. So I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, sticking to, to what, you know, works for you and being confident in that. Yeah. And I, I mean, that doesn't mean I haven't changed things based on yeah. what I've learned from other people. Um, it's just that in competition is not the time to change things. <laughs> like when you're behind the blocks or in your semi-final or when you're in warm-up, that's not the time to change something. But <laughs> yeah. there's definitely things I've learned from international competitors that have taken back to my training environment and then created a change in mm. that way. Because I think everyone's got something to teach you, even if... Um, it, even if it's just that their strength is your weakness, there's something to be learned there. So I, I do try to learn from everyone, but I don't think that the competition arena is the place to like yeah, implement yeah. that learning. <laughs> no, I get you. Mate, 2015 world champs in Kazan, uh, massive for you. You came away winning gold in the 50, the 100 and the four by one freestyle relay. And, and you really stamped your mark. Firstly, talk to me about the lead up to those championships. Was it a matter of it all came together for you? You know, hard work, great training block, 100% healthy and fit, and you were just ready to go? Or were there hurdles along the way that we might not have known about that, you know, you had to overcome to get to those moments? I mean, 2015 was a really, really good year for me. It was, I mean, like most things in, in sport, it's it's all about um, timing <laughs> and um peaking at the right time of the year, but also just the accumulative years leading up. And I had a really good run. My hip, which I had an operation on when I was 15, hadn't been too much of an issue. I was pretty much just, um, like you said, fit and healthy and, and training really well. And um, it was an accumulation of um, a few years of that that really um, that really brought me to that um, 100 freestyle final where I swam the personal best time in mm. order to win, which um, was really uh, a special moment for me to... I don't think I really grasped it at the time. I think I uh, sort of took it and then moved on straight away. I mean, mm. it was halfway through the meet. I still had a few more events to go. And then even after the meet was finished, 2015 is the year before an Olympics. So I didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it. I just sort of yeah. um, got back into the pool and kept on um, going from there, which uh, maybe I should have stopped and smelt the roses a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know, my next question was going to be, you know, how did you feel when you looked up and saw that? Because we all know you as, as the ultimate competitor. And I think that's why the Aussie public have such an affinity with you because of your determination and your, you know, desire to be your best. Um, so it's interesting you say you sort of, because, you know, I was going to ask, you know, what was the feeling like when you touched and you, and you looked up and you saw, because obviously all your training is geared towards that moment and that result. But what is it like when it actually comes to fruition? Uh, it's very hard to, describe i think i just get really happy when i do a yeah. good swim it doesn't it doesn't 100 percent matter whether it's um a swim that wins or not obviously when you're competing and then you you win a race it's um i think everyone's had that experience at, at some at some level where they feel like they've won at something so it, it's it's pretty much that same feeling of accomplishment but when i know that i've done a really good race and then you also get a really good result it's a good um it's such a beautiful combination. And yeah. I think if you've ever seen any pictures of me in a post celebration, I don't, I'm not like on the lane rope and 
flexing and whatever else people do which is like a totally okay to, way to express yeah. it. i just get really happy like i'm smiling a lot it's just an, a nice release to me because it's not like i don't i don't swim so that i can win gold medals i swim because i have this mm. great desire to um keep on bettering myself so when that comes to fruition and it also results in a gold medal or a silver medal or any other thing that i feel like i can be proud of um that's when I just get like really happy about it. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like an overwhelming happiness. It's very, very great. And then you've got to um, tamp it down and get over it pretty quickly. Cause you've probably got to go to bed and finish the rest of the competition. Is that a tough balance to, 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 you know, to find, obviously, you know, what's coming up, but you've obviously got to try and appreciate what you've done as well. Even if let's say, for example, it's not a gold medal, but it's, it's a PB and, and you're really happy about your, your uh, result is that hard to find that balance in terms of appreciating what you've done but then staying switched on for the next one because i think you know a lot of younger kids as you just said when in 2015 you were like not even appreciating what had just happened you're kind of already looking forward as to what's coming up yeah it's something i've probably learned um a bit more as i have gotten older and had a few more ups and downs as to um sort of appreciate some of the ups because you don't actually know when you're at your peak because you never know when you're going to start. You never know when the next pitfall is, right? And you're, I mean, it's a pretty brutal sport in that you're only as good as your last race. You could be world champion the year before and you could not even make the team the next year. Um, So it is, it does bring you back down to earth pretty quickly. But Mm. um, I think that means it's important to acknowledge um, successes. We're pretty, I I don't know about other people, but I'm, very good at focusing on the negatives of something or um, the, the anything that I perceive as a failure because that's that's the bit you want to change and get better yeah, at. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it is really important to make sure you take the time to acknowledge um, things that have been done really well as well. In keeping on that theme, for for many of us, um, you know, the only thing we really need to be aware of after a race or after you know, not for me so much a race, but you know, after we've done something, is is our own success or our own disappointments on the results and we process them ourselves for you and Kate though there's many moments that you know you guys are sharing together either positive or not so positive in terms of the outcomes is it tough sometimes to to be you know celebrating or or appreciating a moment for yourself when you know perhaps Kate hasn't quite um, done what she was after and vice versa is it hard for yourself to deal with a disappointment you look over and you know Kate's done really well you know, you've got to try to, you know, deal with that as well. I'm, I'm, I must admit it, it would be tough for you guys to, to deal with that. I can see how it's, um, it's a weird dynamic looking at it from the outside, but for the most part, um, like I support Kate a hundred percent. So when she does well, that brings me a lot of happiness. So yeah. if I haven't done well and she's done well, um, I get a little bit of happiness added to my disappointment, which mm. is a really, really good thing. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's the other way around, it's it's the same for her. I mean, she she'll be disappointed that she didn't um, do what she wanted to do, but um, rather than just being disappointed in that, she gets to see me do well, which is something that um, makes her happy as well. So it it seems like it would be a tricky <laughs> dynamic, but I think yeah. because we've been doing this a really <laughs> I keep sounding like I'm really old. A really long time, um, <laughs> yeah. you sort of realize that there there are going to be ups and downs, and that's what it's it's all about is is who can bounce back from the ones. That sounds very cliche. Who can mm. bounce back, or who can even it out as much as possible? I mean, nobody um, in the history of this sport has ever just been unbeaten. Um, yeah. Everybody is beatable, 
and that means that every single race the scorecard goes back to zero so um that's both a good thing and a bad thing it means that it doesn't matter if you win once it doesn't mean you're going to win again but it also means if you fail once it doesn't mean you're going to keep on failing (laughs) i like it i like it 2016 rio olympics the four by one freestyle relay is a moment that you didn't need to worry about about what we just spoke about because you both got to to share in a, in a, a fantastic moment winning gold uh, great performance and a world record one at that how phenomenal was that moment with the girls as well but in particular sharing it with your sister it was an amazing moment for um, for all of us i mean yeah. it was amazing to have kate there that's always been uh, our dreams go to the olympics together which um, 2012 was the first time we did that and once we'd done that it was like oh wouldn't it be great if um we could both be in that relay so um to both be in the relay and me going third okay going fourth um knowing i was leading into her in that last um hundred was pretty spectacular so it was um it was amazing and on top of that i was we were swimming with um emma mckeon and Britt elmsley who yeah i think i said earlier i grew up with them so i've been racing them since i was um 11 or 12 so it was really um, a good little family moment where it was um, all of us who were a really, really tight bunch that um, everyone stepped up and did their job and performed so well to make that happen. And um, it didn't matter what the Americans or the rest of the world threw at us. It was, it was a nice moment where everyone stood strong and we got to stand on the podium and mm. uh, sing the national anthem together, which is pretty special. Now, I'm always fascinated by this question. You've been to you know those uh, Olympics, the London and Rio when you go to Rio, are you feeling a little bit more comfortable going to the Olympics because you'd been to London or is it the big show anyway? So anytime you're going to the Olympics, there's some butterflies and, and things to, to, you know, navigate. I mean, you're feeling a little bit more comfortable because you kind of know a little bit what to expect, not only from going to an Olympics, but from um, the previous years of international competition. But yeah. um every Olympics is entirely different. Everyone's preparation is entirely different. You're in a completely different um, place in your life than four years previously. And it's still a great unknown of what the result will actually be. So um, every Olympics or every, every major international meet, anything that means something to you is just as nerve wracking as the one before it. Um, It definitely doesn't (laughs) diminish nerves. The fact that you've been there before, because you still um, you still want to get something out of it. You still want to get the best out of yourself. And there's absolutely no guarantee of that. So that, I think that's where um, most nerves come from. And um, I, I love the, um, I love the arena and being able to compete. And so being able to do that, the Olympics is um, pretty special, but it's also like excruciatingly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it's a very uncomfortable place to sit with a bunch of uncertainty for a really long time, which is, mm. Um, what the lead into an Olympics is like, but um, it is, it is all worth it. And sometimes you're like, why exactly am I putting myself through this? Why am I putting myself into such yeah. a vulnerable position where like huge failure is possible, but it's, um, it's, it's a pretty weird um, way to exist, but we really like it. Hey, fast forward to 2018, the Com games on the gold coast and, and another standout meet for you. Um, you know, you killed it at those, those games how do you look back there i mean obviously there was the crowd there was the atmosphere obviously your results it must be a, a pretty one, a good one to look back on yeah commonwealth games is like an amazing competition because it's really really fun it's um everyone in the village together but not as much pressure as an olympic games um for me commonwealth games is really 
sort of unexpected. I first injured my hip again straight after the 2015 um, World Championships and then my shoulder got injured at the start of 2016. So for me, I'd just then been battling injury for um, two, two and a half years. And it was um, getting to a point of being incredibly frustrating where I was um, unsure whether I could swim as fast as I used to swim being injured. Um, it was a real question mark of, can I get back to like mid 52s, 52 low, which is where I need to be because the rest of the world is getting there now. Um, can I get back there with my injuries? I could get there without it, but now that I'm in constant pain, is it, is it even possible? I couldn't mm. do the things that I used to be able to do in the pool or the gym. Um, so it was a process over those two years of finding other things that worked. There's, there's is always more than one way to get something done, but it's, it's um, once you've found the most efficient way and then you have to change it, it can be really, really frustrating and slow, painful process. So mm. for me then 2018 um, Commonwealth Games is sort of a, a vindication of those um, two and a half years of just really grinding and trying to find the thing that works and trying multiple things and them not working and trying to move on. And it was, um, it was not an easy few years to get there. And um to be honest, like going into the final of the 100 freestyle, I had no idea I was going to go 52 low. Yeah. Um, not at all. But um, it was a result of working through pain and with pain for, for two years. So um, that's why I was like so excited when I won. Yeah. <laughs> and, did, and for me, it was more going a time that was then a world-class time again. Mm. Um, being like, okay, great. I'm, I'm competitive again. And everything that we've been doing, which has been changing a lot, it's it's actually working and um that's a, a really nice moment do you feel like mentally for you that period of time going through those struggles and coming out the other end so positively um you know has helped you grow yeah definitely i mean going through any sort of um adversity it's it normally helps people grow yeah. well it doesn't help them <laughs> It yeah. forces them to grow. You can definitely do all your growth without having to go through something. But yeah. um, I mean, I, I didn't have to be creative in my training and I didn't have to um, look at alternatives and I didn't have to consider vulnerability and weakness because um, it wasn't a part of <laughs> what I had experienced. But yeah. having to um, deal with that on a day-to-day basis then gives you a lot more empathy for other people as well, which has been a nice lesson to, to learn out of it. And you can identify with, with other people's struggles a lot more when you, um, especially like specifically around injury, um, you can really have like a proper conversation with other swimmers that are going through something tough because mm. you're, you're sort of there yourself. So um, yeah, definitely learns, learns a lot through it. I mean, Sometimes I'm like, maybe I didn't really want to learn all of that. Or <laughs> yeah. if there was like a better way to learn that, which didn't yeah. involve so much um, hard work on my behalf. <laughs> but um, it's, um, it's nice to, I mean, gratitude's a nice thing. It, uh, it's sort of, it's an antidote for most things. So I try and use that a lot. A bit away from swimming now, and, and we talked about the motivating factors around the pool and swimming with, you know, with Kate, but how inspirational have your whole family been to your career? I mean, mum, we talked about, you know, used to be a synchronized swimmer and, and now a nurse and dad, and your two sisters, Jessica and Abigail, and obviously, of course, your inspirational brother, Hamish, who you share a birthday with. How inspirational is your family in your career? My family's always been a big part of um, my swimming career. I think. 
Um, any swimmer will probably say the same thing because uh, we're all training at 5 a.m. from when we're young teenagers. So um, you have to go to the pool somehow and you're not driving yourself. So it's a really, um, it's a big team effort from my family. And I mean, like you just said, there's a lot of people in my family. There's, a, there's five kids, um, which is a lot of different people's needs to juggle. And um, my mom is incredibly selfless in that she just 100% supported what we wanted to do, as well as um, looking after my brother, who um, she's his full-time carer now and um, looking after the needs of Jessica and Abigail as well. So <laughs> I'm just incredibly appreciative that um, my parents decided to support my um, desire to be a swimmer because mm. oh, without them, it's just not even possible. Mate, outside of swimming, and we touched on it earlier, you are very creatively minded and you enjoy writing poetry and, and doing a lot of artistic things. Do you have passion to pursue any of those sort of post your swimming career? Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. Um, someone once said to me, they're like, Oh, everyone at the moment, um, if they have a hobby, it's like, okay, great. Monetize that hobby and make it your business. And it's like, maybe not the best way to go. Just keep your hobby for yourself and as a hobby. And uh, I mean, if you, if you want to monetize it, like go for it. But I really like having those things as separate and for me and with no deadlines on them no timeframes. I think I'm trying to achieve there. I think that's what's so um, great about doing things with that side of your brain. It's like, I'm not trying to achieve anything. I'm trying to achieve something every single day when I go to the pool, Mm. if I come home and like pull out a bit of clay, like, yes, I'm trying to make something out of it, but nothing like nothing weighs on it. And if you're not so good about um, doing pottery is that if you make something and it's like, just completely rubbish. You can just scrunch it up and start again. Like it's, um, (laughs) it's, it's not like painting, which is by the way, so hard. But if you like put a brush stroke wrong, it's then like, how do you even fix that? Um, yeah. So that's, I don't, I don't have a great desire to pursue that in, in a business direction. I would, I would like to keep it as like a sort of creative outlet for myself. Now I've been reliably told by many of the Australian team uh, that I've had on the podcast that, you know, you are a great writer and, and they've asked me to any time that I had you on to, to see if you would, uh, you know, read one of your poems out for the listeners. So would you be please, would you please, sorry, be so kind as to, to read one of your amazing poems for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I always write something before the team, before we start a meet. So I normally read it out to everyone at the last team meeting and it's sort of a um, poem for the, uh, for, for the meet. So this one yeah. I wrote in 2018 for before the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, and it's called um, The Will of One. Mm-hmm. In the space between two breaths, a baited flurry of blurry lights, a mortar pulsing in azure depths and hearts rippling towards the fight and doubts crouch in the corner where vines grow wild in the mines, but every minute makes you surer years of work on which to climb and voices raised in a mighty roar the circus crowd stamps its circus feet and blends and bends their metal floor but shakes not the stillness underneath carried on their breath-filled cries a dream you felt first in the dark a flame that flickers but never dies dreams begin where fears depart and blends and bends into the scene where fortune raises her sleepy heads and heart and sweats and muscle screams. Here we laugh at trials bends. 
And in the end, when iron eyes turn, gasping at the race they've run, and dreams and fears equally surprised, the power of many fused with the will of one. Wow. That was very good. Why are you not pursuing that? <laughs> I am pursuing it. I'm yeah. writing it and sharing it with people that I like. So that's that was, pursuing it. That's very good. I've got to tell you, I'm someone who, I don't read because I'm just, I'm too lazy to read, but I, I appreciate good, great words and great storytelling. And that was uh, a great story to tell. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for sharing that. I feel very lucky that you did. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you liked it. No, I loved it. Um, I don't want to say that too much because otherwise, you know, your head will get bigger. So I want to keep it down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mate, Simon Cusack, what's he like as a coach? And and obviously you've been, you know, working with him for such a long time. What's he meant to your your career? Simon, um, Simon first met me when I was seven years old and I was um, a grotty little kids like straight from Africa and I didn't used to wear shoes and um, I used to wear like every single color you could ever imagine and all my hand-me-down clothing and um, that was how he first met me as this scrawny little kids that used to show up to training an hour early every day Um, and that was 19 years ago and I've been with him for a really really long time then Mm. and he's taken me from that that little seven-year-old all the way through to um, the, I don't know, the last eight years of competitive swimming. So he's a pretty incredible coach in that he, uh, he started out with a little bit of a different philosophy with us when we were young and just really focused on having incredible technique and did a lot of work around that. Incredible technique and building um, speed. So not, uh, not going the miles, just being like, okay, if you, if you can't be within half a second of your best time, then you're going and doing like 10, 400s in that lane. But if you can then we're going to um, keep practicing that until you can't do it anymore. Yeah. So really practicing that high intensity speed, which was a, a little bit controversial at the time. But uh, yeah, I was just really lucky that I walked into a pool with a coach that um, was creative and level-headed. And I mean, I've been with Simon for 19 years and I haven't heard him yell once. Um, so that might give you a little bit of an idea for his style is quite level and, and even, and he's actually got a really good sense of humor. I think yeah. some people are a little bit afraid of him. I, um, people on the team are like, Oh, we're scared of Simon. Cause he doesn't say much. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he doesn't say much, but like, if you go talk to him, he's probably like cracking a joke or something. He's just, yeah. um, he's just a little bit quiet. And obviously that dynamic would have, would have changed over the years. How much has it, you know, um, developed more from a coach, athlete perspective into more of a, a partnership now that you guys are getting older yeah it's um it's interesting when you're when you're young your coach just tells you what to do and you do it and then as you get older it does end up being more of a um conversation i think what was really unique about simon early on is that it was sort of always like that it would be like he would tell us what to do but it would always be like how did that feel did that work for you yeah. and really it was a two-way communication street from the start so it just sort of evolved as I started to know what worked for me better and I could give him better feedback and he'd be like, okay, how did that feel? And he'd be like, Oh, give him something a little bit more interesting and then he can build on that. Mm. So it's actually always sort of been like that. I just, as I've grown um, in maturity and, and in knowing what works for my swimming, I'm just able to give him better information to make decisions. Mm. Is there anything we wouldn't know about Simon? 
Anything that you guys get um, to see on pool deck or behind the scenes that, as you said, some people are, you know, afraid to go up and talk to him. Is there stuff you mentioned his, his humor? Is there something we don't know that you guys get the inside info on? Um, I don't think many people know Simon super well, but he's, um, he, he just loves camping and the outback and, um, going out bush. That's his thing and fishing and, um, uh, He's always looking for a bit of land to like settle on and mm. um, just get out and live the bush life. So I don't think many people, it's very far away from the pool deck. He actually, he used to be a stockman. So yeah. he's, um, he's well versed in, in that area. So that's, that's something most people don't really know about him, but um, that's what he spends a lot of his time and hobbies on is, um, is looking at camping gear and um, trying to get out of the city and the hustle and bustle and um, get into the countryside of it. I was lucky enough the other day to be on a, a sort of a webinar type thing with New South Wales Swimming and, and he was on it and he mentioned his whip cracking theory. You, you're aware of this, obviously. Would you like to, you know, give the, the listeners uh, an insight into that? Yeah, so Simon's, um, Simon's whip crack theory is... Uh, taught to him by the person who first taught him to crack a whip and was sort of like, okay, you're practicing to crack the whip. Once you get it, once you hear it crack, just stop mm. and then come back to it the next day. Don't try to do it again because you've got to try and get your body to remember the, the best performance, the thing that yeah. you were trying to achieve. So we use that in, in training all the time. It's like if, um, if you're practicing starts or turns or any sort of specific skill, once you've done a good one, it's like, okay, don't try replicate it immediately, especially when you're first learning it. Mm. Realize that was a good one and like leave it and let your brain think on it overnight and ruminate and then come back to it and see if you can replicate it the next day rather than just keeping on going. And um, you will find that once you've done something really good, it's really hard to replicate it immediately after. Yeah. No, no, I really enjoyed it. That's why I'm glad. I'm glad once we started talking, it just reminded me of, of hearing that. So I'm glad I brought that up. I, I did really enjoy that theory. Um, much the same as myself, Matt, you and Kate are both sponsored by Arena. Terrific brand. Um, and for me, it wasn't hard to say yes to be involved with those guys um, because I know how bloody good they are. But what about for yourself? How long have you been involved with Arena and how important has their partnership with you been you know, to your success? Um, yeah, Arena's been great. I first um, joined with them in 2013. Um, I think it was even after the Worlds then. And really, before then, um, I'd sort of just been wearing whatever suit and I was just trialing heaps of different suits and being like, okay, what what, what actually works um, for me? And that was um, how I went about. I just trialed a bunch of different suits, um, all the suits that were on the market then and was like, okay, which one do I feel like is the best? And for me, it was um, the Carbon Pro as it was then. And I was like, okay, this one's the best can we please go and see if Arena will, um, will have anything to do with me? And I was really stoked when they said yes. And yeah. um, I signed on with them for, um, yeah, for I think it was only for a year or two years or something. And then um, I've been with them ever since. And last year um, in the middle of ISL, we had a week or two off. So we went to Italy and met the whole team. And, um, oh, nice. In Tolentino, yeah, their little town where they operate out of and, they're, they're an incredible company who are just really, really passionate about swimming and water and um, the high performance side of how to make things better, but also the um, just more general community engagement sides and the love of swimming and spreading that around. So I feel like really fortunate to be involved with them and they're, they're such a um, 
passionate team about that. It makes me excited that um, I get to be part of that company. Yeah, much the same as myself, mate. I think the thing that drew me towards them and why I was immediately yes to joining was as a coach, when athletes come up to me and they're talking about well, more so parents because I coach age group athletes, um, what suits should I get? What's For me, it was always, you know, what fits best. But, you know, if, if arena does fit your best, I, I would go with arena. So it was, it was a very easy partnership for me because I knew I was getting involved um, in, a, in a really good brand. So uh, much the same as yourself. Yeah, I really, I, I mean, it is just whatever works for your body, but I've always found um, that the evolution of their suits has always worked really well for me. And um, I think it, it works well for sprinters in general. I mean, if you look globally on a, on a starting block um, of a sprint final, it's, there's a lot of arena there. So I think yeah. it's, um, it's a suit that seems to lend itself well to most sprinters, which, um, yeah, I'm really glad that I'm with them. Mate, Jaka Vaharan uh, recently announced he was stepping away from his role and you're on the team for, for pretty much the entire tenure he had as head coach. How important was Jaco to the rebuild of the team post, say, 2012, maybe in the public's eyes anyway, of, of what was happening back then? Um, you know, and, and how much did you learn from, from working with, closely with him? Yeah, I remember, um, I remember when we first met Jaco when he came out and he was about to start as head coach it was like 2013 maybe at bhp billiton and he was addressing the team and um instantly like his enthusiasm even though his english wasn't as as good as it is now it was um he has a um, sort of charisma about him that says mm-hmm. that like i, I want to go places and i really want us to go there together and um you don't you don't need to speak perfect english to get that across and yeah. he's been a, a huge part of the team so um, I've learned, I've learned a lot from him and, um, watching him grow and change in that role as it's, it's changed over the years. So I'm really, um, sad to see him go, but do understand that it's, it's the best decision for him and his family. And, um, you can only ask someone to sacrifice so much. And he's, he's given a lot to swimming mm. in Australia, um, over the last few years. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Mate, you hit the nail on the head with the uh, with the charisma. I interviewed him a, a few days ago, and he's actually when I release your podcast next week, um, I'm going to release his simultaneous with with yours. And uh, yeah, very very charismatic, uh, spoke very well, and and I you know thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the charisma. Um, 2021 Tokyo Olympics, uh, and you've been quoted as, as saying you know it'll probably be your last what will the next 12 months mean to your career and and how important is it for you to to finish your career you know at your best um it's not that important <laughs> you can't make it that important <laughs> yeah yeah it's um i think that you've got to get to a point where you're really proud of what you have achieved and mm. that doesn't mean that you don't achieve more i mean my goal is to swim my fastest every time in an olympic final yep. there's very few people that actually do that so that's that's what I want to achieve, which is still me being better than I've ever been before. It's a yeah. pretty um, high goal, but I'm not hanging everything on it. Um, and it's not it's not the extra pressure of I want to like put a crowning jewel in my career or mm. I want to finish on a high. It's not it's not even 100 percent going to be my last meet. So um, I don't I don't need that added pressure of um, oh this is your last chance to make this happen. Um, <laughs> I just want it to be what I want to achieve and nothing more. And but having a goal that's completely um, revolves around what I want to achieve. 
um, it takes away that uncertainty of what happens if someone swims faster than me or, yeah. or what happens if like something else happens or um, it's just I don't I don't need that <laughs> it's, a, it's I mean we say it all the time in swimming but it's very hard to make it hit home is just focusing on the things that you can actually control and mm. making those be the center point of it so um, I can't control whether it's going to be the crowning moment of my career but I can control um, how I prepare and um, preparing that better than I've done ever in my life would be the best way to go about trying to achieve something I've never achieved before. Very well said. Um, now I like to finish all of our chats with it, with a little bit of fun and, and learn a little bit more about the Australian team. And today I'd like to do it with a bit of a twist. So I'm only going to give you two options. Usually the options is the entire swimming, uh, the Australian swimming team, but today you've only got two options. So it's either yourself or Kate in terms of I'm going to give you a sentence and then you throw uh, either yourself or Kate on the end of that to, to, you know, say who, who the best is. So, you know, might be the best singer, might be the best dancers, a bit of fun with this. So um, the first one is the best dancer is. Oh, I think I'm the best dancer. I mean, it's not saying very much really, but um, <laughs> I mean, Kate's got a lot more limb than I do to control. I mean, yeah. she's a lot taller than I do. And she's got a lot longer legs and arms. That yeah. doesn't lend itself well to dancing. So I'm going to claim that one. Okay. What about uh, funniest person on the team? So, you know, who, who's got more jokes in their arsenal? Um, I mean, I think Kate thinks that she's funnier because she <laughs> definitely always has a bunch of dad jokes um, yeah. up her sleeve. Um, whether they're funny or not, she tends to laugh at them. So <laughs> I think she might claim that one. What about best singer? I mean, we're both kind of horrific singers. Um, well, you guys I are mean, part of this song. Wasn't there an Australian swim team song? I was not part of that. Okay. Kate was though. That's 2008. So I definitely am. I didn't I know how long that. ago it was, but I do. I have this yeah memory of it just not sounding the greatest, and yeah, just thinking what was a very long time ago. You can't put people in a studio and expect them to be able to sing. But um, no, neither of us can really sing. But I think um, we both make up for it in enthusiasm. So, <laughs> <laughs> what about? And I guess this is a hard one, but who do you think gives the best advice? Um. I would say I give the best advice to her and she gives the best advice to me and neither of us follow our own advice. That's <laughs> usually how it works, isn't it? Like you can give really yeah. good advice to someone else, but you probably don't follow it yourself. So um, yeah, yeah, she does give me really good advice um, and I tend to give her very good advice, but I don't follow my own advice and she doesn't follow hers. So um, we should probably get better at that. What about the biggest pest on the team? Oh, I'm definitely the biggest pest. Out of me and Kate, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. In what way? What, in what oh, way? I just, pest? I'm a younger sister, sibling. You like annoying people. Um, I mean, I, I'm the person that will jump out and scare her, and she's actually really easy to scare. <laughs> or um, like squirt them with your water bottle, or just like yeah. any little thing to annoy them. Um, I think most younger, younger siblings are like that. So yeah, definitely 100% me. Am I right? You know, I think I heard when I was doing my research that you, I don't know if you still do this, but used to, you know, know how many laps you'd done and count her laps as well. And you'd sort of let her know if she had a few more to go. Well, I don't have to actively do that because no one's getting lapped now. But yes, <laughs> yeah. I used to do that when I was, when I was a kid. I yeah. was the person, you know, and like no one knows how far they've gone. I always knew how far I'd gone and I knew how far everyone else had gone and <laughs> I wanted them all to do it. Um, I was a little bit of a sanctimonious little seven-year-old, but um, I kind of grew out of it. I don't, I don't really care if it does 
hundred meters less than me. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the hardest worker on the team? And I'll, I'll throw this out. It could be, you know, it could be very different in the pool or in the gym. Does one, you know, work a little bit hard? I know you both work hard, so it's not, I'm not trying to say that one's better than the other, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I mean, Kate, Kate's probably more focused in the gym than I am. I yeah. don't love the gym, so that's probably her her forte. Yeah. Me, I don't get it done, but um, I'm I don't really love the gym where she sort of gets into her own little own little zone, whereas I don't I don't get in there as much. And it also depends on the day, doesn't it? It's very variable over a long, long period of time. <laughs> Speaking of the gym and doing things dry land, did you have to do much running through COVID-19? Did you have to get out on the pavement and go for a run? Because I know swimmers aren't big fans of running, but as soon as we couldn't get in the pool, people did have to run. Yeah, I mean, people thought they had to run. I did not run um, <laughs> because I get horrific shin splints because I run badly because yeah. I don't know how to run because I'm a swimmer, right? Yeah. So, no, I did not run, but I did multiple other. I had a spin bike. So, if you can jump on a bike, mm. that's much nicer anyway. And then the ocean opened up down here. And, I mean, where I'm talking to you now, I can literally see the ocean out the window. Yeah. So, I just go do some laps of the bay and um, that's nice invigorating because you get scared halfway through and think you're going to die by <laughs> that big dark shadow that's over there, which yeah. actually ends up just being a clump of weed. So yeah, just um, I ended up doing a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't made me jealous, not a little bit. You're sitting there looking out the ocean and I'm sitting in my garage and there's bags of uh, rubbish sitting over there and empty boxes and... <sighs> Yeah. Well, if I, I don't even have a garage, so that might help a little bit. I've got a serious lack of storage. That's what no, It doesn't help because even apartment. if I wasn't in the garage, there'd be no view. All I would see is there's just a paddock out the back with a few cows going, bah. So anyway. Oh, that's pretty nice. Your cows go, bah. Oh, that's okay. I meant sheep. I meant sheep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've lost the plot. Um, ah, that actually sounds super nice. How to put some sheep in it. Lovely. We've been, um, I, I've been, I've got a backpack for my daughter because um, she, she walks, but she walks quite slowly. So uh, I get impatient. So I throw her in the backpack and we, we've been going for a walk lately. And it is actually in fairness to where I live. Um, I live in Western Sydney, but there's a lot of um, farm and stuff around. Um, we do go actively looking for animals. So we've lately, we've found, you know, heaps of horses and cows and sheep and the sheep go bad and the cows go moo just just for myself to, to get that right in my mind um, and goats and yeah so it has been in fairness it has it is a nice area yeah it's lovely out there i've been exploring a lot of sydney now that um we're not really allowed to do international travel for who knows how long so yeah pretty much every week or fortnight on the weekends i've been getting out to a different part of sydney that i've never been to before and either doing like a national park walk and then um, we tore it up with a place to stop and eat on the way home. You go to little India or Cabramatta or yeah. somewhere that's got amazing food. And um, nothing tastes quite so good after like a hike and a cold swim than, um, than like a hot soup or something. It's just, um, it's been really, really nice opportunity now that we can move around domestically to be able to explore it because it's yeah. Australia is amazing, but, it's so hard to get everywhere because mm. everything is so far. Like I was like, Oh, I want to go to like lightning ball Ridge, but it's like, Oh, that's eight hours drive. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite places? I mean, we've got the blue mountains, obviously you can go up the coast, down the coast. What are some of your favorites that you've been to in New South Wales? Um, 
probably one of my favorite trips I did was like a year ago and we went out the back of the Blue Mountains and did the Janolan Caves and then kept yep. going and um, went out to Mudgee and um, there's beautiful gardens that are near Oberon and then mm. back through Orange and um, back over the mountains again. And just that sort of central west um, New South Wales, it's such a beautiful part of the world with the little wineries and yep. um it's yeah, it's it's really sweet. So I really, really enjoyed that. It's one of my favorite trips I've done. It is very nice. Can also be very cold in winter, but it is it is very nice and uh, picturesque. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I haven't actually explored the Blue Mountains too much. I've sort of gone beyond them, but mm. um, that's on that's on the list as as winter comes around. I don't I don't mind the colds in in the mountains as long as you've got <laughs> enough warm things to um keep yourself out of it. As long as you don't have to go swimming. Yeah, we were there the other day. I took uh, my wife and my daughter went up. We went and seen the three sisters. And I tell you what, social distancing, I don't think so. It was packed. There was people everywhere. Um, so, you know, very, very popular again, I guess, because they we're trying to encourage people to get back out, right? So everyone's out, yeah. all right? It, it, was, it was chockers up there. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. Everyone's flocking to their, to their local stuff now that um. Yeah. As, as we've all been locked inside for a long time. I mean, that first weekend when everyone was allowed to go camping was, um, I think, the 1st of June. Um, I went camping that weekend and we left at 4 a.m. because yep. we wanted to beat the traffic, which was great, but you can't beat it on the way home. No. Um, and that was an eight-hour trip to get home <laughs> from not that far away. But um, I just uh, like it because I, I think it's great that everyone's getting out in nature and enjoying it and sort of appreciating it even even though we've ignored it for multiple years, it's um, <laughs> it's a nice thing to see. So I try not to get too frustrated at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there, Bronte. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to come on for a chat. I really appreciate you taking the time out and sharing some of your stories. As I said, I know you're getting back into training, so it, it's not easy to find the time. So I do appreciate it, mate. Good luck with training over, you know, the next few months and building your fitness back up and getting the feel back and ultimately, you know, going on to try and, get your spot back there for 2021 Tokyo Olympics and mate, hopefully we can, we can get you back on for another chat possibly next year, but until then, thank you very much for coming on off the block swimming podcast. Cheers. Thanks so much for having me. Season two of off the block swimming podcast has been proudly brought to you by pro swim workouts. Thank you so much to Nico and the team for all their support in season two. We've loved having you on board and can't wait to keep working with you in season three. Well, what a mammoth way to finish the season with a huge two-part show. Thank you so much to both Jaco and Bronte for coming on the podcast. And while I'm at it, I want to thank all the legends and the current crop of stars and the rising stars and the coaches we've all had on the show this season. I've been truly blessed to have the opportunity to sit with you and go through your careers. I've definitely had to pinch myself at times with the people I've been able to interview. So thank you all very, very much for your support of this homegrown Aussie product designed and intended to help promote Australian swimming. I'd love to go through all the names, but given that we've had 50 episodes already, that will take all day. But if you've been on the show, just so you know, from the bottom of my heart, Thank you very, very much from myself and my family. You're all legends in my book, and I look forward to keeping in contact with you in the years to come. 
Thank you as well while I'm at it to all our sponsors, including Pro Swim Workouts, Arena Australia, Arena New Zealand, and Klim by Michael Klim. Thank you guys for being a major part of the show. Uh, can't wait to continue working with you guys as well into season three. Very, very much looking forward to it. Now, while I am at it, season three, and I've promised some big news surrounding the podcast in season three. So here it is. Season three of Off the Block Swimming Podcast will kick off in just over three weeks from today on Monday, the 3rd of August. But here's the twist. I'm very excited to reveal that season three will not only be on YouTube for all of you guys to view and watch for the very first time, but episodes of the podcast will now be available and released every day, Monday to Friday, with each day being its very own special category. So here we go. Mondays will be a very special Australian swimming legend. Tuesday will be New Zealand swimming superstars. Wednesday will be UK swimming superstars. Thursday will have a Dolphins team member on every Thursday. That's exciting in itself. And Fridays we will have a rising star from Australia's age group system. Yes, you heard me right. One episode every day, Monday to Friday. Something in there for all the fans of the show, whether you listen from across the ditch in New Zealand, whether you listen from across the world in the UK, or whether you listen to hear Australia's legends, superstars, or rising stars. We have it all covered here, so you do not need to turn the channel to anything else. Stay tuned on our social media pages over the next few weeks for more information and promos for the upcoming season three. There may be a few hints in there on special guests coming your way and a lot more. So for the final time this season, it's been an absolute pleasure to bring you guys off the blocks each and every week. Get pumped, get excited for what's to come in season three. I very much look forward to seeing you all again in a few weeks time, but... Until then, stay safe, stay humble, and stay hungry, everybody. And it's bye for now.